hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. All right, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. This is David Otten, one of your hosts. This week, we're going to be covering three big money mistakes that people make, and they're not the ones that most people would think about. Our guest this week is Bob Wheeler of the Money Nerve blog and the Funny Money podcast. So let's jump into the show and see how we can identify these three big problems and how you can fix them. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. So, all right, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We have uh, a guest who joined us for our very first episode of Queer Money, uh, Bob Wheeler. In iteration one. First iteration of, of, of Queer Money, yeah. Um, Bob Wheeler of the Money Nerve. Uh, hello, Bob. Welcome back. Hey, how are y'all doing? It's great. great. It's great, great to have to you, you back I after you. popping our um, podcast in Cherry, I guess. <laughs> Uh-oh. Can we say that? Can we say that? Yeah. <laughs> we can say whatever we want. We already had somebody use uh, the F word on our show, so we already had to apply for the uh, explicit uh, contact. <laughs> or, uh, Uh-oh. So anyway, um, so we, uh, thank you for coming back. Um, we wanted to have you on because we've had a series of events, clients we've talked to and whatnot, um, and there seems to be a theme coming up with people suffering from money, limiting money beliefs. And I have to say, this the first time that I realized this popping up for us was when we were in Philadelphia at the William Way Foundation giving a talk. And several people had mentioned the words limiting money beliefs. And I thought, what is this phrase? What's going on here? What are these people talking about? And I almost didn't believe it. Well, I didn't believe it at first. And it took me a while to think about, after several months for me to realize, wow, I I think I did have my own limiting money beliefs. And this is something that I've even to this day still struggle from and that it may be holding me back. So we've we've noticed this, theme reoccurring and I wanted to have you back because I know this you're the money nerve and you have expertise in helping people under, identify whether or not they have money beliefs uh, limiting money beliefs and then also you uh, better yet you have some exercises that people can maybe do with a group or a partner or even alone that might be able to help them tear those limiting money beliefs down yeah absolutely I you know this is a it's so interesting because I have had people tell me Look, I don't have any money issues. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any limiting beliefs, or I don't have certain beliefs around money. I'm pretty open to everything. Um, uh, and I, like, I had this editor who was telling me that it was sort of silly to assume that everybody had issues with money. And so I said to her, um, "Well, when you go out to lunch with your dad, your mom, and your sister, is it the same?" And she said, "No." When I go out to lunch with my dad, he pays because I'm, I'm his little princess. When I go out with my mom, I pay because she was, you know, victim of my dad's divorce. And my sister, we pay equally because, you know, we're equal. 
And I said, oh, okay, so you have three different beliefs about how to have food with three people in your family. She went, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Right? And so just even that about, oh, my mom's a victim, so I have to help her is is a belief. And, And but we do so many of these things unconsciously. And so for me, it's so important to start to figure out what my current story is and once I can figure out my current story, then I can start to see, does this still serve me and at what cost? Right. Yeah. So, Bob, the example you gave was really good. I like that. But what what other ways do you see beliefs, limiting beliefs around money playing out in people's lives? What are some of the things that it's holding them back from doing or it's making them do? So... There's a few different beliefs. So some people might say only rich people or super smart people can have money or you have to work really, really hard um, to have money. You can't just have it come to you easy. Um, It might be that I'm flawed, therefore I don't deserve it. And even though it's a subconscious belief, we then turn we then we perpetuate it. We because people like to be right. Um, even if it's unconscious, we like to be right. And so people go in with these stories, you know, only other people can do that. Or they might even actually be really successful and not see their success, right? And so their story might be, I never have success, even though they've got six businesses, they're making half a million dollars. Uh, You could sit there and go, but you just generated this much income last year. Oh yeah, I got lucky. Hmm. That didn't really, that didn't really happen. So do you find that is, – is it stemming from feeling like they don't deserve success typically? I, yeah, I think there's a lot of shame. Um, there's a lot of shame about actually having success. Our culture is really funny. Uh, we want everybody to be successful. I, this is, I do this in workshops all the time. Uh, who wants to be rich? Everybody's raise their hands. Everybody, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to be successful. Great. Um, tell me about rich people. Oh, rich people suck. Rich people are greedy. <laughs> rich people don't care about anybody. Rich people, you know, and so they go through this whole litany of everything that's evil about rich people. And I said, well, gosh, that's interesting because you just all told me you wanted to be rich and successful. And they're like, oh my gosh, right? <laughs> right. There's such this contradiction that we want, we want it, but then we don't want to have too much of it because then we become a target. Um, we might actually have to tell people no. We might then find out that people actually only like us for our money, and so then we don't know if we can trust them, so then we have to become suspicious. And so all of these subtle emotional things start to come into play. And, you know, or if if my parents are really rich and I don't like the way they are in society because they're very narrow-minded and they they don't help other people and they make judgmental comments – then I start to say that's the way all rich people are. So now I start to reject my parents and I reject any of their beliefs, which would include having success because that means I'm a narrow-minded uh, bigot or I'm judgmental. Uh, and I'm going to assume that everybody else is that same way. Right. I, I also agree that a lot of individuals, especially in our puritanical society, have been raised in religions that have misquoted the Bible or various religious books in that they think that having money and being successful is evil. Right. And it's oftentimes the lust or desire to have that money or the means in which 
people will go to to get that money, that's the real evil. The real evil is what people will do to twist those words to make it make it possible so they can be successful, or what they will do to other people to become successful. It's not necessarily being successful. Right. And, and then, I, uh, unfortunately, we have a lot of examples of people who have done that because those are the ones that the media ends up focusing on rather than the people who progressively started a business and just were successful, did it the right way. Well, that's a boring story for the media to tell. They sure. wanted to tell the story about the evil person who milked somebody out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so that kind and of perception, president. And that, that kind of perception, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of perception is, uh, is being preached to individuals from a very early age. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everybody misquotes a lot of people misquote that, including a lot of religious leaders. It's it's the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not money. Uh, and so, when you're driven to do anything to have the money versus creating money, but that's not your main intention, it, it's a real distinction. But I hear people misquote it all the time. Religious people misquote that all the time. And um, so, and and then you look at some of these mega churches, even you know these new modern non-denominational uh, congregations where they're saying everybody, Hey, you know, tithe, give you 10%. Um, you know, God loves, um, you know, what's the, what's the quote? Um, you know, the poor shall inherit the earth, the meek shall inherit the earth. Right. But they're all driving around in five, they've got six helicopters and a Mercedes <laughs> and a mansion on the Hill with a, you know, a small river that they've built. And it, it, so it, you look at it and you go, wow, they're doing quite well. And they're like, well, you know, God wants me to be prosperous, but he wants you to just give up all your money so you can show him how good you are. <laughs> and uh, so there's a bit of a hypocrisy in some of our religious institutions. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. I do love the quote from Lisa Nichols. I'm going to botch it up. She often says that good people should be rich because good people who have lots of money do more good in the world. And if you consider yourself inherently a good person, then when you become rich or successful or you have money, then you will do more good. Right. Yeah, I think she says it's actually the good people who should be rich because they will do good things with that money. Yeah. So yeah. if you consider yourself to be a good person, having means or having wealth to be able to share that with others and do good things with that money should be part of your purpose in life. Right. You can't help other people if you're destitute yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I and I would say that if you look at like New Thought Movement um, and some of those religious non-denominational non-denominational organizations, you know, they'll actually say uh, God or the higher higher spirit wants us all to be wealthy because that's what the universe wants. They want abundance. They want success. Um, it's it's what's the intention? Is it let me take everybody else out so that I can <laughs> show that I'm the best and I don't really care about humanity? Or is it yeah, I want to be successful? You look at a lot of you know. You look at a lot of people, Bill Gates, um, lots of folks that are creating foundations and doing money, um, putting money into foundations and working on, you know, world health issues and, uh, you know, prenatal care and all kinds of things where if they didn't have the money, they wouldn't have the ability to sh change the world. Right. right. Exactly. So I say I'm a younger person and mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we identify this a lot in the queer culture, um, mostly, most of the, most of the gay men that we talk with, how can I identify whether or not that I 
I have limiting money beliefs. We typically like to believe that we're right and that we have accurate opinions. So, you know, it's it's might be hard for me to identify that I might have this this I don't call it a flaw or but this incorrect perception of myself. Yeah. So I think what I start with people is I start to get people journaling or I get people to share, you know, like share with other people. And I'll ask I'll ask them specifically, do you still have the same beliefs about money that you held as a child? Like, have you had any major shifts? And then I'll ask them, what did your mom and dad teach you or not teach you about money? In other words, what did you observe, even if they didn't say it? And um, really start to look at those core beliefs. And people will be often shocked that they'll say, oh, you know what? My dad always told me I was an idiot when it came to money. Or... I'm not as good as my brother or my sister, and therefore I'll never amount to anything. And so I sort of took that and ran with it. Um, and a lot of times, my belief is that we do things in in support of or against our parents, right? So if I don't like what my parents are saying, then I'm going to do everything I can to be against them. So if they want to be successful, I'll make sure I'm poor. If they they're poor, I'll make sure I'm rich so that I can make them wrong. And and all of our relationships. Are, regen- are recreations of those original mom and dad relationships. Um, and I think that's, I mean, I found that to be pretty, I mean, I, I, that, I, that serves me. I think that most of our relationships are just recreations of our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I can get people to start to say, hey, what did you hear yourself saying about money? Or get somebody to reflect back to you what they heard. Because I hear people tell me all the time, oh, I'm broke. I can't afford that. I'm like, really? Because you just spent $200 buying drinks for everybody. Um, <laughs> you just charged a trip to Mexico. Right. Oh, yeah, that. David, <laughs> David just created a meme that's similar to that. What, what was it? Well, the, the first one I created said um, that you can't afford to buy your boy or girl flowers, but you can spend $7 on a latte. Bitch, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I think that that, that kind of example gets played out in individuals lives on a regular basis i can't pay for my credit cards but i dropped a hundred dollars on drinks this weekend bitch please you know it's just this kind of idea that we make exceptions for ourselves a lot but then when it comes to the things that we have responsibilities around we're the victim (laughs) right absolutely and that's to me being the victim is really just being unconscious and just wanting to stay in denial um because once we start being responsible, once we start being intentional, once we start being conscious in our choice, it's hard for us to say, oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me. It's more like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this to myself. Right, Gee, right. when am I going to like, when am I going to take up some responsibility? Um, I find also that um, gender plays a big role in people's money belief systems, which, you know, ties to sexuality as well. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, uh, Real men are the breadwinners. Women don't know how to handle money. Now, in some families, it's the women know how to handle the money and the men are completely irresponsible. Or, uh, you know, if you if you go with that shame of, oh, I'm even though it's a false belief, but the shame of, you know what, I'm flawed. I'm different. Um, People are going to see that I'm not like everybody else. Um, so now I've got to go out and do things to show people how amazing I am. I've got to be super successful. I've got to be flashy. Um, I've got to show everybody my creativity so that they don't notice how, um, how, how flawed I am. That's, it's interesting that you say that because David and I have, after doing a lot of 
thorough thinking about how we got into $51,000 worth of credit card debt, it was probably a, only about last year when we started realizing that we were simply trying to make up for feeling less than when, when we were younger. So right. we, were, we were finally out of our parents' house. We were on our own. We had our own incomes and we were making more money than we'd ever made in our lives relative at that time. And all of a sudden we found this community of other people who were like us, other gay men, mostly gay men, other gay people, and we were having a great time. But we wanted to, I guess, prove that we belonged in that group and that we were at least as good a, as, if not better, than the people that we were with. And that's what a lot of our money went going towards, was clothing and cars and stuff to pay for that kind of stuff, pay for that image. That image, which is very superficial. And... If you were to say to your friends, you know what, I can't afford to get a fancy car like you do, like you have, or, oh, I'm not going to be able to go hit the expensive bars and, and take this wonderful vacation, some of, some of those people would no longer be your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right? And they, hey, you're uh, like, oh, well, oh, my God. You, you're not allowed to be vulnerable, and you're not allowed to actually be authentic. Right. It's a big risk. It's a big risk. I know one of the the limiting beliefs that I uncovered during this whole process um, I grew up a, a rather lonely person um, in being raised in a very religious household. I didn't wasn't allowed to spend much time with individuals at with kid, other kids at school, and um, I wasn't. I I was a little bit uh, antisocial or awkward so, socially in the church. So not many of the kids my age wanted to hang out with me, and as I started to have money, one of the things that I did was I bought friends. I right. pay for, you know, a lot of people would say that I'm a generous person because I will buy people's drinks. I will buy people dinner. I will do that on a regular basis. But I know that part of that is this limiting belief inside of me that says, no one really wants to be my friend. So I have to do this to make them my friend. Right. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people that use money as a substitute for uh, getting friends, getting love, getting approval. Um, you know, it was my grandmother basically said to, to me and my siblings, hey, we'll give you lots of money if you like us better than the other grandparents because we were their only grandkids. We were like, sweet, cool. You know, what? a couple hundred bucks a year and you're on. And, uh, you know, they would give us presents and all kinds of stuff. Later on, I found it was really sad. Um you know, as an adult, when I tried to do things for them and then they'd say, can we just pay you? And, I, and I'd say, no, I just helped you because I wanted to help you. And they're like, okay, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, right. It was really hard for them to let me actually just say I wanted to do things because I loved them. And I mean, they flipped out. They were calling everybody in my family. Something's wrong with Bob. <laughs> we don't know what to do. Right. He, he just wants to, to be with us. This is, he, he's sick. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to just be with us. <laughs> yeah, it's not possible. And it's really sad, but you know, like I found recently that I actually just, I've used money in the past just to not to deal with stuff. I just throw money at a problem so that it goes away. And then if somebody's like, well, no, we need, and I'm like, Hey, I just paid you off. So shut up. I'm not going to deal with you. Right. Wow. I mean, so I use it as a power, um, you know, as a power ploy. And I was really unconscious about it. Um, and I was doing that with my family until a couple of people pointed it out and said, wow, just because you have the money, you get to actually punish us. And I was like, damn right. Oh, crap. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. That really hurts. You know, but I, I was I was doing it unconsciously and I didn't want to feel into the fact that I was using it 
to make everybody else wrong, but I was really covering up my anger that I had at my parents from when I was younger. I was really angry. I couldn't express it. And now that I'm in the position to help them out and they didn't help me out when I was a kid, I, I, I took out my wrath on them. Gotcha. So is there a way to identify that kind of a limiting money belief without having to be called out on it? Well, you, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and you have to be willing to actually be honest and, and make an honest assessment. I don't think you have to be called out on it, although I do think if you can find people that want to explore their limiting beliefs as well, if you make an agreement that, hey, let's all just be really curious, let's all not make this about look how wrong we are, um, and really start to explore and really start to just be aware of what are the, what are the things that I hear myself say. Um, you know, do I always like to pick up the page, you know, pick up the, the check when we get to the restaurant so everybody knows that I'm generous? Do I always go hide in the bathroom uh, when it comes time for the check because I don't want to admit that I don't have the money to pay it? Um, you know, do I need to like show everybody that I'm, you know, that I have self-worth because I know deep down that I don't. Mm -hmm. So it's really about, am I willing to start looking at those emotional things? Because it's, you know, it's, you can't just sit down and say, oh, okay, my limiting beliefs are this, this, and this. You really actually have to start digging and start looking at stories like, what was my first money memory that was negative? Oh, I lost the milk money and everybody shamed me. Or, oh, I went to school and the bully at school beat me up and took my lunch money and I didn't want to tell my parents because I didn't want them to think I was weak because my dad said you should be tough, right? And, and start to find those stories where, oh gosh, that's where I started hiding. That's where I started taking myself out and, and really going back and, and like really actually thinking about it and, and then start to look at those stories and then see, um, where you let it take yourself out and are, and do you want to change that? Cause not everybody wants to change it. That's true. Yeah. Well, cause change is tough. <laughs> change is tough. And they don't, of course, change would suggest that they're then wrong at least at one point and they would then have to change them. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I do my workshops and when I work with people, I really encourage people to just be curious and find everything really interesting. So it's not about it's wrong. It's, wow, I made a limited, I made a limited, a limiting belief about something based on limited information. So it's not that I'm wrong. It's just based on the facts I had, I made some wrong assumptions. Well, and that's interesting that you say that because if we're at, you know, we're obviously heavily influenced by our parents and our parents have their own beliefs about money that they come into their marriage or their family with. Mm -hmm. And then you watch them go through various experiences of their lives as, as they're managing jobs and saving money and whatnot, taking care of the, taking care of the family. And whether they're struggling or not, you don't know the whole story between your mother and your father. You don't right. know exactly what they're dealing with. You just see a, a slice of that. And it's those slices that we use to create what eventually becomes our personal perception of, of money. And that could be good or bad. But like you said, it's all based on limited information. You, you didn't know your parents entire – they didn't share with you their balance, I'm sure, their, their checking account and uh, what they were afraid of or what they were saving for necessarily. That wasn't you know something that a 7-year-old or 10-year-old kid you know need, need, needs to be privy to. Right. And it's – and until we start to find out those little pieces, like we don't know if mom and dad are actually – so for some people, they never heard mom and dad fight. Other people heard mom and dad fight every moment when any 
when mom ever said, hey, can I get 10 bucks for groceries? What do you mean? How dare you know? OK, don't ask for money. You're going to get hit. Right. So we never know the whole story. I, it's funny. I, I I took my sister out for uh, um, uh, a, a cafeteria. I wanted to take her out to this cafeteria and a cafeteria. You know, it's not a buffet. It's every item you get. You got to pay for. And uh, so I said, hey, let's go to this. There's this great cafeteria. I want to buy you some stuff. So she wasn't getting anything. And I said, oh, my God, you're driving me crazy. I want to buy you stuff. What like get some pudding and this and that. She goes, no, Bob, I just want this. I said, what is your what what is wrong with you? And she said, you know what, Bob, when I was five and she was the oldest, she said, grandma took me out for lunch with my mom and said, you can have whatever you want. And so I was like, oh, I want this. I want that. I want this. And she got all kinds of stuff. And my mom turned to her and said, if you whatever you put on your tray, you have to eat. And a five-year-old, she said, no, okay, mom, I'll eat it, whatever, no matter what. So she, of course, got enough food for like six people. And my mom made her sit in that cafeteria for six hours and eat every single piece of food on that tray until she was about to puke. Mm -hmm. And after that, she never wanted any food because she didn't want to get in that situation. And that was her belief. So here she was, an adult, still thinking that if she – took something off that tray that I was going to force her to eat it. <laughs> right. But that's definitely something probably carried over from the Great Depression, right? Because I remember my yeah. grandparents talking about how they had to eat everything that was on their plate. Yeah. That's and right. Couldn't get up off, couldn't walk away from the table until you ate everything off the plate and then asked permission if you could go. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I grew up with that. When I got to college, everybody laughed at me because I'd be drinking a bowl of milk from my cereal. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you have to drink your bowl of milk before you can get a second bowl of cereal. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's the rule. Right. <laughs> you know? Who says mom? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so yeah. it's, it's one thing then to, I think it would be safe to assume that most people have limiting money beliefs in, in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. Yeah. Whether you choose to accept that or not is, is one thing. But if you choose to accept that, what kind of what ways can you break those down and have and form a more healthy relationship with money? So once I start identifying what my beliefs are, I start looking for the payoff. In other words, why am I still holding on to that? What do, how does that serve me? Oh, I don't have to be seen I don't have to set a boundary. Uh, I don't have to deal with people judging me. Um, I, I don't have to deal with people asking me for things. So whatever the money belief might be, or I'm flawed. See, if I say I'm flawed and then I actually want to change that, I might actually have to find out that I there actually might be a little bit flawed or I might actually be okay. And then I might have to take responsibility and step up and, and, be seen, mm -hmm. yeah. which is then again, you know, could potentially shine a light on me. Um, right. If all of a sudden now everybody says, Oh, you're getting promoted. You're doing great on this. Now all of a sudden now everybody thinks I'm doing great. Mm. Wait, uh, uh, but I'm not sure why I'm great. Wait. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people prefer to be invisible. Um, and so it's easier to just say, well, I'm flawed and then I don't actually have to deal with it. It's just like when a person, um, when a person goes on a diet and loses weight, that's only part of it. Losing weight is just one thing. Then all of a sudden you have to deal with the fact that now people might find you attractive. You might have to deal with uh, – and now you might have to deal with uh, your sexuality or you might have to deal with sexual abuse. It's the same thing with money that if you start getting clear about things, 
you might actually have to start taking responsibility for places where you take yourself out or where you take other people out. Yeah. Right, because you can't dismiss it and say, well, it's because I'm flawed. That's why things ended up the way they did. That's yeah. right. That's it's, right. It's very interesting in our community, in the, uh, in the personal finance community, there are a number of individuals who are bloggers and authors, uh, and they like to remain anonymous. And right. one of the underlying themes that I've heard from individuals who like to remain anonymous is that they have a level of success and they know that if that success was, if if the family members or individuals in their knit, close knit uh, group of friends were were to know that they had that success, they would feel obligated, or their family members would would make them feel obligated to share that success with them, even though they did not earn that success. Right. And so it's it's interesting that even though those individuals are successful, they still have a limiting belief around not being able to share that success with other individuals because of what it has done to the rest of their family. Right. And or not even be able to say to mom and dad or the friends, yes, I'm really successful. I've worked really hard for it. I love what comes with it. And I don't feel obligated to give everything that I've earned over to you. Right. <sighs> That's pretty tough. I mean, that's pretty tough. <laughs> it is right. Tough. Yeah, it's, and I think that's tough. probably why. I think it's probably why lots of times people will dismiss other people's success as an overnight success. Right. Right. Because they don't want to. They don't want to own the fact that that other person might actually have really earned that success, and they didn't try hard enough, or they didn't make the right decisions, and they they therefore didn't earn it. Right. Right, and. That other person actually might have done nothing to earn it. They may have just been a trust fund baby. And, but that's, you know, we still go, well, then that's not fair that they're a trust fund baby. Well, would it be fair if you were a trust fund baby? Well, yeah, that would be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's neither here nor there, right? Right. Right. It's just, they're they're just excuses that we make for ourselves. And maybe what the the, the lesson is that we just need to focus on ourselves and not be so worried about everybody else. (laughs) Right. Because if we start comparing ourselves to other people, um, we start to take ourselves out, exactly. right? Because then we go, well, maybe they worked a little bit harder. Well, maybe they didn't, and maybe they did. It's just how do we feel ourselves, and how do we feel our, about ourselves, and then how do we put that attitude out there? You know, if I remember when I first, um, you know, I, I I have a second house out in the desert, and I needed them to do some work, and I knew they were going to come up, and they were going to see that I had a Lexus, and I'm like, oh my god, hide the Lexus, hide everything, so that I don't get charged extra money, because I found when people started thinking that I had money, I had to pay bigger tips, uh, people expected me to pay pay the tabs, until I finally said, hey, just because I'm I'm having success doesn't mean I'm the one always stuck paying for everything, right? That that's you know, but I had bought into that, like. Oh, I have to do this because it was bad when I was poor. So now I have to cover everybody else because I I have it. No, that's not true. That's not true. That but that was a limiting belief that I had. So it sounds like the the most efficient way then to address your limiting money beliefs would be to find a partner or a group of people who are willing to have honest discussions about what everyone's limiting money beliefs are and try to figure out exactly whether or not those beliefs are now serving them and mm-hmm. then come to an agreement ha- with how to maybe change that? Or is it just simply being cognizant of um, the belief and how it's not serving you? Is that is that enough? No, I think it's important to um, look at how it served you and then actually look at the cost. 
for a long time, I just looked at how is it serving me, and I didn't factor in the part where is what is the cost because the cost might be that I start taking myself out, right? So that I um, that I emotionally start like taking away parts of me because I say, you know, um, I. I I don't want to deal with these things. And so then I have more, sh- I reinforce the shame. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's really important to actually say, what is this costing me? It's costing me friends because I can't be honest. It's costing me re- um, authentic relationships and real connection because I can't let them know the truth. If people knew the truth about my financial situation, they might leave me. If people knew the truth about my financial situation, people might judge me. Um, if people knew the truth about my financial situation, they might attack me. Mm-hmm. And so we have these, um, we have all these stories. What's so interesting when I do these workshops, I'm doing a 10 week workshop right now at Agape, um, Agape International, um, spiritual center. And one of the things in the first week I had, and I always have people work in small groups because it's really over overwhelming to sit down with 25 other people and start sharing financial stuff. Okay. But uh, but I get them in groups of three so that it's not too overwhelming. And all of the people always say, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one thinking this crap. Right. And it I mean, it, it, and people are crying because we do not sit around with our friends and tell them our true financial situations. Um, I work with financial advisors who start to tell me stuff about the, the a mutual client. And I'll say to them, that's not true at all. They're like, yes, it is. I I talked to them and they told me, I said, they're telling you what they think you want to hear. I actually saw the numbers. That's not (laughs) what happened. They're like, oh my God. Right. Because we, we have to project success. Exactly. And to clarify for, I don't know if you said this earlier, but, but Bob's an accountant. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if you said that earlier. (laughs) I probably didn't. Yes. I'm I'm a CPA and I work with a lot of people who don't want to take responsibility. And that's the whole reason I got into the emotional uh, impact was because I was finding that I was trying to have conversations with people about money and they weren't listening. And I realized if I didn't start to understand where they were coming from emotionally, I couldn't actually help them to just actually deal with the, the actual just non-emotional aspects of making good, prudent financial decisions. Right. It's, it's almost impossible to not have the emotions involved. Right. Yeah. And once, you know, I think that's, I mean, I, I have a couple boxes of Kleenex in my office because I have people break down in tears because once I let them know that I get that it's not, you know, that there's emotions involved, they actually feel like it's the first time somebody's heard them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's pretty huge when money is something that we deal with every day. Do I buy my lunch? Do I make my lunch? Do I buy the fancy clothes? Do I buy things at a discount? Do I not buy anything and put my money in savings? Do I have lots of credit card debt? Do I want people to know I'm paying the top interest rate on the credit cards? Do they know that I filed a bankruptcy? Uh, All these things we have to keep really hidden. And um, I I had this – I was working with people on budgets at this particular workshop that I was doing. And I asked everybody to go home and talk to their partners um, or spouses about the budget to just get some input. This guy came back. He said, I, I have to share. And he started crying. And this guy was in his 50s. It was his second marriage. He asked his wife to give some input about the budget. And she said, do you know this is the first time in 15 years you've ever asked my opinion? And I actually feel closer to you than I've ever felt. And he started crying because he realized he had been carrying baggage about his first wife 
and that his second wife was going to be just like her and was going to try and tell him what was wrong. So he completely kept her out of all conversations around money, even though they were in a partnership. Hmm. And it's crazy. And it's, and if we're, and if we're not sharing our money issues with our partners, what else are we not sharing? Right. What else are we hiding? It's, it's, it's fascinating how so many people are closed off to the money discussion. Yeah. It is, it's, 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 I I was reading one of your, your blog blog articles the other day and it, you made the comment that people are more willing to talk about their sex lives than their financial lives. Yeah. And that I would say that's not, that's even beyond just, you know, a, a relationship that people will talk about sex at the dinner table, but they, but to bring up money um, is, is, is verboten. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I mean, and then even if you do, you're going to get the looks of shame from your parents or the look of shame from whoever's around just go, how dare you would bring this up. Right. Um, are you, you know, cause are you, uh, one, you're letting us know your weakness or two, you're bragging. Right. And right. then tie that back to religion where, you know, don't be boastful. There's other people <laughs> that are much, much better than you. Right. How dare you get up there and say, you know, look at my success. Right. So we get it all from all angles. Right. So you identify that you have a limiting money belief, and then you identify that it's costing you that it's having, it's, it's having negative consequences. Mm-hmm. what then can you do to try to change that behavior? Because it's, it's hard to change our habits, especially our mental, the mental story we tell ourselves from day to day. So then what I do, and this is where it's great to have a partner, is so then I um, say to my partner or I just write out, um, how could I do it differently? Like, so here's a situation where I always pay for dinner so everybody thinks I'm amazing. What's a couple of different ways I could do this? Next time, I could actually just not offer to pay the check and just say, let's split it. Um, I could throw out the money that I think I owe and tell everybody I got to get going so that uh, I don't have to deal with that part. Like whatever, right? I mean, like whatever is true for you, even if it's, um, you know, if I talk about money, I'm going to scream. So then, okay, how do I, you know, get somebody else to deal with the money part? Um, Hey, can you deal with the money part? Because I always get angry or, you know, find like some solutions that work for you specifically. Um, If I always go in and charge my credit card and half the time it gets declined because I'm irresponsible with my credit cards. um, Well, I shouldn't say that's a judgment. If I, if I don't pay my credit cards timely, um, how could I do it differently? Oh, maybe before I go to the store, I call the credit card companies and see if I have any money available on my balance. Right. I'm not saying to not spend it. I mean, that's probably even a better idea. But let's say I really want to spend. I I could just call and see if there's credit available before I walk into a store and embarrass myself and then scream at the clerk for telling me my credit card got declined. Right. So it sounds like then what you're what you're basically doing is you're coming up with alternatives. Right. And that hopefully when you have that um, that the inspiration to or or, or the, the the moment you receive that stimulus hopefully then your response can be changed to something new and better for your situation. Right. And so for me, um, the reason I want to get conscious about what I've been doing in the past is so that now when I start to do it again, I have a hiccup in my brain so that I can stop for a couple of seconds and go, wait, oh, this is, this is the time to do it different. Wait, this is, yeah, I don't have to do it the same. So then I get to have a choice. And I might sometimes go, you know what? I'm just going to do it the same way because it's easier right now. It's with my mom and I don't want to go through it. And that's okay. 
at least then I'm at least taking a break and then making the conscious choice of, yeah, I prefer to be the victim. I'm still taking a little bit of ownership. And even that is a shift mm -hmm. because before I did it unconsciously. Right. It didn't even know about it. Yeah. It didn't so, even know about it. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like to me like the, the, the important point here is owning your belief about money. Right. When you own your belief, then you need to make the decisions as to whether or not you're going to keep doing it the same and suffer right. the consequences right? or the benefits, or if you're going to change and suffer the consequences or the benefits. Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully, That's right. Hopefully the change is what brings the benefits. Um, and so it's when, when you decide to, to own that and say, I'm responsible for the choices that I make, I'm responsible for how I spend my money, who I spend my money on, where and when I spend it, then everything that happens after that, whether it's a detriment or a benefit, you also own. So we want right. to own those benefits. So I need to own the decisions that make bring about those benefits. That's right. That's exactly right. Because then I'm no longer a victim. Then it's no longer, this is what the world did to me. This is what my friends did to me. Oh, this is something that I chose to do. And I choose to do it because it's more comfortable than actually taking a stand or setting a boundary. And that's, and it's fine. So there's not a judgment that you keep doing it. It's that you do it consciously. So I'm not saying don't go out and charge your credit cards and get lots of debt, but do it consciously so that you can't turn around and say, look what happened to me. The credit card company made me buy things. Right. The media did this to me. Right. They told me I deserve it. No, actually, you made a choice. And lots of people make the choice to say no every day. They're just not running around telling everybody, look, I made a good choice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. They're just making their choices. <laughs> right. But I think this is a healthy exercise for people, for maybe lots of minorities to do. But I think especially for uh, the queer community, since that's who we identify with. And yeah. I think a lot of the people that we know have had struggles growing up. and it's manifested itself into living beyond their means or having unhealthy relationships with money or feeling like th their entire identity is their job title. Um, you know, right. how exactly is that serving you and can you improve on that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, the thing for me is it's really, it's sad. It's sad when people have to hide this because then they live in isolation and they continue reshaming themselves and that's freaking lonely. Mm -hmm. And to not be able to have authentic relationships with people, like, you know, I have people say, well, you know, I have to say yes to this because otherwise they won't think I have any money. So, or I come up with a really good story as to why I'm not going to go out to the movie with the people. And I say, well, what if you were to just say to people, you know what, I can't go out to the movies tonight because I don't, it's not in my budget. Well, that other person then has the opportunity to say, you know what, I want to take you to the movie because I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> and then, right, and then there's a missed opportunity if we're so caught up in our limiting belief. And it, it like, it really, uh, when I like really feel into it, it breaks my heart that there's so many people that, um, like, that withhold because of their limiting beliefs and then they miss out. Mm -hmm. I mean, they miss out. Well, yeah. and, and it's, it's just like hiding, staying in the closet. It, yeah. If, if you're hiding in the closet at work or at home or, or, or anywhere, you have to expend a lot of energy to hide in the closet. So if yeah. you're hiding in the closet about what you know, your sexuality or your, your true story about your, about money, then you've got to expend a lot of energy to, to keep on, keep that facade. 
Right. Well, and it's interesting you bring that analogy into this. How many people do we know that have come out to a friend or a family member and that person says, well, duh, everybody (laughs) knew. Right. There are lots of people out there who are living a lifestyle that they cannot afford financially. Right. And there are lots of people going, well, duh, we know that you, you know, it is highly likely, I don't want to say we know for for certain, but it's highly sure. likely that you cannot afford that lifestyle. So then when, right. when you announce to your friends that you are trying to live within a budget, they may be more supportive of you doing that than they right. were of you living beyond your means. They may want right. to be more supportive of you enjoying time together where you're trying to live a purposeful financially financial life and bring it uh, into alignment your belief with money then of you know uh, to, to be honest john and i said this that there were times when we had to not hang out with certain people because we knew what it would do to us financially because right. we felt like we needed to keep up with them or we needed to do things with them and you know, once we told some of these individuals that we were in a financially, in a really bad financial state, they, some of them were very supportive of the fact that, okay, we understand you guys can't do things, certain things with us. We're not going to stop being your friends, but we're not going to invite you to go on vacation or, you know, to go to expensive dinners. And we were, we were happy and very, uh, very glad to have supportive friends like that. Yeah, I think it, it, what you were talking about there kind of reminds me when we were in our partying days spending most of our money, we would hang out with doctors and lawyers and mm-hmm. David and I were in financial services so we were you know earning less than doctors and lawyers, but then we were also hanging out with friends of ours who were working in malls, work, working in retail shops. And right. what was interesting was everybody spent their money the same. Everybody right. was traveling together, they were going to the same same vacations. Uh, by and large, you know, they had similar cars. Um, and it, it's just not possible that the p- person working at Gap had the same income and could, could have afford the same clothing and vacation and lifestyle as the person who was, you know, an attorney for the Democratic National Committee. Yeah, not all of our <laughs> yeah. not all of our retail friends are trust fund babies. We know that's for for a fact. They're not. <laughs> right. So yeah, no, so people come out and, and they admit their truth. You're oftentimes it might not be a shock. No, and what you know the great thing about that too is because this. I mean, this happens for me sometimes. I, for, you know, I have a lot of actor friends and a lot of comic friends. They're not all rolling in dough. They don't all have, you know, a full-time job and a 401k and whatever. And so it's good for me to know, don't just assume that everybody can go out and spend $200 on sushi. <laughs> like, and don't put them in that awkward position. And then at least if I can say, hey, look, you know what? I, I want to treat because I just want to hang out. And I'll get it this time. But then I also make a point not to always do that because and then I don't want them to feel like they owe me. Right. Because I've right. had people say to That's me, true. you know, Bob, I don't really like I don't want to go and I'd rather just like hang out at the house because if we go out and do stuff, I'm going to feel financially obligated and I'm not in a place. Right. And I don't want to then reshame them. So it's important for me also to be aware of, OK, my situation isn't the same as everybody else's either and like have some compassion and and not throw it in other other people's face when I can do something that somebody can't. Mm-hmm. Have more compassion for yourself and for others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let me ask you: if an individual realizes or is at this point, what would you say are the 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 maybe two or three steps that they could 
take to start making the changes? You said finding an accountability partner or somebody to work with to, to ask these questions. When they realize that, where what are some of the next steps you would suggest? So one of the next steps, and I encourage people to do this like immediately, is to start recording all the money coming in and out um, for you know three or four weeks at a minimum. Every time you you know you get some money or you get some birthday money or somebody pays a dinner for you that you thought you were going to have to pay for, like start to recognize where all the money's coming in because we tell ourselves a story that it never comes in and that's actually not true a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And then also to start recording where we spend because we often lie about how much we spend. <laughs> that's where the big, that's where the big lies are. People tend to overestimate their income and underestimate their expenses. And I really try to get people to do the opposite. I try to get people to round down on their income and round up on their expenses. And, and then usually they're a lot more on, on track if they go that route. So that's the first thing is start to recording, start recording money in and out. And then, uh, from that start to actually build a budget. Like what does it actually cost me? Um, and so like when I do a budget, I start with expenses because I found when I started with income, people would start to see that it wasn't going to work out. So they're like, oh, no, 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 I only spend this yeah. much for groceries. Oh, I don't – no, they're like – you know, I'm like, what do you spend? They're like, oh, I spend this much on alcohol. I spend this much on – then we get to the income. They're like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's not going to work, right? So now the truth is a little bit more harsh and a little more obvious. So I would actually start doing the budget of where's the money going so that I can then start to look each month, eat, look at each month and say, oh, okay, I have been overspending. Oh, I do just – uh, impulsively buy things without factoring them into my budget when I don't have the money. Um, so those are the first two things that I would do. And then the third thing that I would do is then actually start listing out what are some short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals that I want. I want to have my student loan paid off. I want to be able to pay cash for my car. Uh, I want to take a vacation. Um, I want to, you know, whatever it might be, start to make a list of those things and and a lot of times people go, okay, that's my dream list, but that's not enough. Then actually, what does it take to make those things happen? Exactly. If I want to take a vacation and I want to go to Africa, how much is the airfare? How much are my accommodations? How much do I want to have for spending money? Do I need to buy luggage? Uh, do I have to take time off from work? Do I have vacation saved up? And then actually start to look at those things. And, you know, people, you know, I always like to, to say, doing a budget and looking at your goals and actually making them come to fruition is sort of like magic. Magic tricks are really simply doing a series of steps that look magical, but they're actually very just logical uh, set of steps that everybody else just isn't seeing. Interesting. <laughs> right? And like that's that the same thing. That's good. Yeah. And that's the same with, with having financial responsibility. It looks magical to everybody else. The reality <laughs> is you're actually just going through a series of steps and, right. and, and making it happen. Oh, and then good. it becomes magical <laughs> when you take that vacation. I, I'm actually glad that you brought up that first step uh, of doing an analysis of what, of your spending. Uh, mm -hmm. J John and I are actually right now working on, and most likely by the time this is made public, this podcast is made public, on a short tutorial and a spreadsheet that allows individuals to do that, track their spending. It'll be a free tool that'll be available on our website at debtfreeguys.com. Uh, so if you are listening and you would like to start making some changes and make that take that first step of analyzing your spending, we are creating a tool that will make it easier for you. 
Good plug, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now no, that we had now that we had the opportunity to plug that free guys, Bob, uh, I think this has been a great conversation. Where could our listeners find more of Bob Wheeler and the Money Nerve? So you can definitely find me at themoneynerve.com, and you can also find me at funnymoneytalks.com. I also have a Funny Money Talks podcast, and there's also a book, The Money Nerve, that you can check out on Amazon, and. It's a great book for people like a lot of uh, couples use that book and read the chapters together and then do the calls to action together. Hmm. Um, and so and you can always email me through the Money Nerve website. And I would just say when you're ready to start making these changes, get support. And it's so much better when you can actually find other people out there. And there's lots of them that can really help hold you accountable and you can hold them accountable and do it in a way that's like kind and compassionate, not like, see, look how stupid you are. That's, <laughs> that's not what we're looking for. Right. 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 We're looking for support. And, and it's amazing. It's support is just like a, is a, you know, is a, a hand reach away. It's just often we don't know to reach out. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are, it, it's baffling to me how many people are struggling with the various problems that David and I had 10 years ago. And so yeah. if you feel like you're alone, it, it you know, you're not, there's a lot of people who are in your situation, regardless of your tax bracket uh, and your, your place in life. Uh, you're, there are a lot of people who are suffering, going through the same things that you are. So definitely like Bob said, find, find your community. And if, if Bob can help you or we can help, certainly let us know. So thank you very much again for your time, Bob. It was great to have you back. We'll have to have you back back again uh, again in the future. I I always enjoy these conversations. Exactly. Absolutely. I love this stuff and I just, yeah, I love it. And I just, yeah, I want people to know they're not alone and, you know, start the conversation. Like have the life you want, have the life you want. Absolutely. All righty. So we just covered the number, a number of topics all around these limiting beliefs and money. The three big ones that we covered that hold many people back are one, It's the love of money, not money itself, that is the real evil. If we truly believe we are a good person, then we can do the most good when we are financially successful and not distracted. So don't hold yourself back by thinking that having money is a bad thing. Number two, we focused on our financial success not being tied to our gender, race, religion, or sexual orientation. It's actually a mindset, and anyone can have it if they choose. So choose to have a financially successful mindset. And third, speaking of choice, the final mistake that many people make is that they don't own their financial decisions. Once we own our financial decisions, we can start to see the good ones and the bad ones and be able to make corrections where necessary. And remember to head over to DebtFreeGuys.com and get your free spending analysis worksheet. It was actually the key that made us financially successful because it helped us to fix the mistakes we were making with point number three and allowed us to pay off our $51,000 in debt so quickly. Thanks again for joining us and have a great week. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh.
From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.